Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, this is Jeremy Evans with episode 11. Today is Monday, September 16th on the Believe in Sports Law podcast via the Believe uh, Podcast Network. Today we have a special guest in Brandon Leopoldis and um, for the uh, 15 Minutes of Fame session. And uh, I'll get into a little background with Brandon. Brandon and I have known each other for many years. Uh, he is a dear friend and a fellow attorney um, focusing in the uh, sport and entertainment space. He's here in Los Angeles. Uh, we've worked on many projects together. Um, our friendship goes back all the way to law school. And uh, he's a very funny guy, a very gracious guy, and uh, you know, honored and happy to have him on the show for today. So... Um, Brandon, if you could uh, introduce yourself a little bit, I give a little bit of background. Maybe talk a little about how you got into sports and uh, and maybe what you've uh, what you've been up to lately. Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. I appreciate you having me on your show. Um, I kind of have a different uh, way that got I got involved into sports. A lot of people um, either played a sport growing up and that's how they got in, or they might have played in the league for a minute. Um, for me, it was my sister. I grew up in Colorado Springs, and my sister was an Olympic-level gymnast back in the 90s. And uh, being in Colorado Springs, she was on the national team, and so we got to spend a lot of time at the Olympic Training Center. Uh, but it was a little different. She's a couple years older than me, and so I'm running around the training center uh, after my Little League practice in my Little League uniform. And she's an elite-level, world-class athlete, and so I didn't really think anything of it. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't old enough to understand that this was pretty special. And so when she went away to college, she went to Penn State as the number one recruit in the country um, back in the 90s. And that's when I kind of, it kind of dawned on me that this was unusual and that not everybody gets that experience. But I went through all the recruiting meetings and listening to my parents talk about where she was going to go to school. And then I got to go see a top tier first class division one program uh, and how that athletic department operated. So when it got to uh, me being in high school, um, I was a terrible athlete. I was a late bloomer. I was five, two and a hundred pounds soaking wet. And so I got cut from my high school baseball team and I got a job umpiring uh, little league. And I thought I was rich. I was making 20 bucks a game. What's not to love, you know, in high school, uh, getting paid the same amount my friends were, but I didn't have to work at Wendy's. And so uh, I really enjoyed it. I had no idea what I was doing, but really enjoyed umpiring. And I got to the point where I got to meet some professional umpires uh, that were coming through Colorado Springs and AAA at the time. And I decided that, gosh, I might actually want to do this for a living. And so I, uh, it sounds really cool when you're in college to say that you're leaving college and going pro. Um, so that's exactly what I did at the age of 19. I went to umpire school uh, down in Florida and uh, ended up uh, doing pretty well. I could get yelled at and still not lose my composure and focus in on my job and not get overwhelmed or talked into calls. And so I actually uh, was offered a job in the minor leagues and uh, spent 628 games in minor league baseball as an umpire. And so I kind of ran the gamut from being a family member of an elite level athlete to being on the field with elite level athletes. And then uh, when that career came to an end, I went to law school and uh, it became pretty clear to me real quick 
that I wanted to continue to work in that space. I didn't really know what sports law was, um, but I knew that I just wanted to give back to those that had given me so much in my life and in those roles because I already understood them. I understood their mentality. I understood the stressors that were going on with the families. Um, I didn't ever sign a $100 million deal, but I understood what um, what that looked like emotionally. And I understood what it was like when somebody gets hurt. And so that's how I got my start into sports, uh, at least uh, into sports law anyway, was building on what I had experienced uh, the first 30 years of my life. Oh, that's great, Brandon. Uh, good background there and uh, had some good laughs there. So, um, so B, talk a little bit about um, you know, we, we've done so much work together and we've got so much in common. You're, you know, you're a sole practitioner like me, you know, you're at Leopoldus Law. Talk a little bit about what you're doing in your practice, but also intertwine in there. Um, I mean, obviously we do work together with the Sports Lawyers Association and then also um, with Fuel. Talk a little bit about Fuel and what you're doing there. Sure. Um, so Fuel is a community of people that are working with the elite level client, whether um, they're an athlete, an entertainer, a celebrity, um, a high net worth or ultra high net worth individual. Um, being a lawyer working with individual athletes, it's very difficult to refer a client out to uh, really anybody uh, simply because you end up with people that are they want that athlete or celebrity client, but it's because they're a fan. And sometimes the fan uh, hat can blind people from giving good advice, right? That's why you see a lot of celebrities that have those yes people around them that never tell them something's a bad idea. And so having a room full of vetted professionals um, that understand the ups and downs and what a client actually needs from that uh, in that arena is really helpful. So if I need insurance for one of my guys, I know who to call based on where they are in the country and the needs they tell me about. And I know that that person's not going to try and oversell them because they think a client has more money than they do or sell them something based on the naivete of the client uh, who just happens to be somebody who has a lot of money and is in the public eye in a young age. So that's what uh, Fuel is based on. And really, it comes from uh, just doing work with individual athletes uh, and individual clients because they have unique issues. And so my practice really focuses in on the off-field, off-screen stuff the, that I work with my athlete and entertainer clients because I'm not a sports agent. I'm a sports lawyer. So I help athletes build their their business and their brand around them and really keep them protected. One thing I do with collegiate level athletes, especially football players, is help them understand what's coming about as they go pro and really putting those right, helping them understand how to vet and put those right people in, pl in place in the roles that they need. So it's vetting the agent. It's helping them understand how an agent gets paid. It's helping them understand how they get paid um, and what some of those benefits and detriments are for each job and what they should look for. It's helping them vet financial advisors, um, other lawyers, you name it. If they're going to hire somebody, uh, I always want to be involved. And I tell them that if the if a contract has a comma in it, meaning it's a thousand bucks or more, I want to be involved in the process. So that way we can help educate them about it. Even if it's something as minute as uh, a rental agreement, it could have long lasting implications if you don't have your lawyer involved. Okay. Now, good points. B, let's talk a little bit about... Um... 
you know, the differences there between agents and, and lawyers, because you made a really good point and, you know, that you're a sports lawyer and, and I'm in the same boat. And I think there's, you know, basically since Jerry Maguire and maybe even before that, uh, the movie I'm talking about, um, you know, there's been sort of this reference that, you know, sports lawyers and sports agents are the same thing. But you and I both know that, you know, I mean, and obviously for the listeners out there that it's a situation where when you want to become a lawyer, you know, you have, generally have to go to law school. You know, you generally have to have an undergrad degree. You have to take and pass the moral character um, examination. You have to um, uh, basically go through a bunch of background checks. And then you obviously have to take and pass the bar exam. And then you have to keep licensed, you know, with, the, with whatever state bar that you're with. And I think um, some of the implications, obviously, with being an agent versus being a lawyer or an attorney is basically that, you know, number one, it's the issue of, you know, in-person contact, whereas agents don't have that sort of issue. Uh, and the rule in California is that you have to have prior personal relationship uh, to make contact, um, which obviously would make being an agent very difficult if that rule applied to them. And then secondly, it's the multi-jurisdictional practice of law, where, of course, we can only practice in California since we're licensed here, and we can only um, you know, work with clients that have some sort of touch to California unless you're dealing with federal law. Uh, those are obviously some of the issues that uh, sort of differ between agents and lawyers, uh, not to mention the sort of the host of ethical rules. So maybe talk a little bit about the differences there and, and sort of what some of your experiences have been with that. Yeah, certainly. You know, when people ask, and I get this question from law students a lot, when we do an SLA outreach event uh, in Southern California or just speaking with uh, people in general, when you say that you're a sports lawyer, they immediately think sports agent. And that's because a lot of agents are actually lawyers and it's a beneficial uh, educational experience to have that behind you as a agent. However, um, agents are just like if you go hire a headhunter, right? Um, their job is to get you hired. Their job is to get you revenue coming in, um, in your employment status. So an agent, um, oftentimes uh, you're going to have agents in those sports that have players unions, right? So where you're an employee of the team. Oftentimes in tennis and volleyball, it's a little, or tennis and golf, it's a little bit different because uh, it's an individual sport. And so you're not on a team, you're making money for yourself. You don't necessarily need an agent to get you into the U.S. Open. You just have to qualify. And so those agents, though, often encompass uh, a lot of work that overlaps with what I do. And for me, I don't really focus in on them getting a job. I can't, I can't call the Denver Broncos and get John Elway to employ my clients. As much as I would like to talk to John Elway, that's just not my job. My job is to make sure that their legal rights and their really their business interests are protected off the field. So when you see these situations with athletes that um, get in trouble, uh, whether they're arrested or something bad comes out about them going through a domestic situation or something with their kids or a poor social media post, that's where... I would get involved for their off-field needs, um, their business interests with their sponsors. Um, oftentimes, an agent's going to be the one that handles that relationship, but the lawyer's going to have that attorney-client privilege that's in there. Even if you're an agent uh, that is a lawyer, sometimes that attorney-client privilege will not hold because you're doing a different job 
than you would be as a lawyer. And oftentimes agents can face that similar situation. Uh, and so as a lawyer, I really try and help these guys understand how they can protect themselves when they build a business or when they build their nonprofit. Um, one thing I tell my guys is to don't have your don't put your name on your business. For example, if uh, you're working with a guy like a Ray Rice or somebody like that, um, this is a man who um, had that unfortunate incident where he beat up his wife uh, in an elevator, right? And so the Ravens cut him. He hasn't played pro football since. And I don't think he has any other outside business interests that are generating revenue. And if it has his name on him, the, the bad PR is going to attach to those businesses as well. And so I always try and have my clients have a uh, holding company or something like that, hold the their business interest with a different name than just their first name, right? We don't want the, the Babe Ruth LLC if Babe Ruth ends up you know, being a drunk driver, something like that. We want to make sure that they can continue to make revenue off the field and take those interests and considerations into effect early on before they have any issues. So that way they can continue to make money later on in their career. So changing gears a little bit, let's talk a little bit about what does the sort of future of uh, entertainment and sports look like uh, to you and maybe to some of your clients? Maybe talk a little bit about some of the industry trends as well. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think this is a really exciting time. It used to be from you know the the fifties to probably the late nineties, early two thousands that as a professional athlete, guys were just high paid employees. And I say guys specifically because uh, women's sports just weren't generating very much money. Now with the WNBA, you have women's soccer is just astounding. They are just crushing it. Um, you're finding that you can have a smaller audience, but make more money. And, you know, thanks to the internet and uh, some of the outlets that provides, you don't necessarily have to rely on just your income as the professional athlete in order to generate interest. You can use that platform even as a backup uh, player on any sort of team or in a league where you're not making very much money as the as a player. You can make that money up on, off the field by having some great branding, being a super uh, you know social media follow. There's other ways for these people to make money now, and I think you're seeing some players capitalize on it, but I think in the near future, you're going to have that aha moment with everybody in sports, so you're going to have more and more people who are engaging with their fan base and giving them offerings that they actually want and making a lot of money uh, from that. You see the NBA does a really good job of that. As a, as a whole, I think NBA players are the most savvy entrepreneurs uh, in sports right now, right? Every team has two guys that are on max contracts. Sometimes they have three, and those guys are all involved in hedge funds. Uh, they have a diversity of, of business investments. And when they're on a plane with the other 14, 15 guys on the roster – that's what they're talking about now. It's not headphones and rap music. It's the Wall Street Journal uh, and you know the Dow Jones. 
And I think that's really important, especially when guys are uh, so young um, that it, it, it makes a big difference. And I think that's the thing that I'm really interested in in seeing what happens with this industry as you have social media influencers mixing with professional athletes and they kind of intertwine. So that way, when their career is over, you see them continue on. We see this a lot right now. I mean, a guy named Pat McAfee, who was a punter, has turned that into a job. Uh, I think he's with Barstool now. And he's he's got to be making more money on Barstool than he ever did um, when he played in the league. And those are the type of things where I see a lot of people being able to transition into other jobs rather than just broadcasting, um, using their social media platform in order to generate significant revenue uh, away from their sports career. Okay, no, fascinating stuff. Thank you, Brennan. So let's talk a little bit about um, maybe some words of wisdom you might have for folks trying to break into sports, uh, whether it be you know sort of law students, business folks, uh, doesn't matter, other professionals. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I have two pieces of advice on that, and it's a really good question. I wish people would ask more about it. They oftentimes ask about how they get a job, but breaking into sports is more than just a job. It's breaking into an industry. And in order to break into an industry, you have to know people within that industry. It just makes sense, right? Um, So just like as a lawyer, you need to know other lawyers um, to learn about your job, learn about your profession. If you want to be in the sports industry, you have to go meet people that work in the industry. And it's not terribly difficult when you think about how big the industry is. Um, you know, there's there's players and they're the most identifiable, but you have the, the staff of coaches, you have the assistant coaches, you have those that are selling season tickets that work in the venues, that own the venues, that are sponsors, that are ticket takers. I mean, you name it, um, there's a job in sports. And you want to get to know as many people within the industry as possible and branch out from there. You want your network to build with as many people in sports as possible because then you're going to be known. You're going to have people that are on the lookout for you. You're going to get introductions to other people within the industry. And that's how you're really able to build the sports career, not just a job, but the actual career. And so that's the first thing I look at. The second thing that I'd recommend for people that are looking to break into the sports industry is recommending that you don't take the what can I get out of it approach, but what can I give approach? And I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about anything like that. What I'm talking about is value. And value has different currencies for different people. Some people aren't just interested in money. Some people are interested in experiences or time or information. And you have to figure out what the currency is that those people want. So uh, I try and provide value to anybody that I come in contact with whether it's an introduction, whether it's some advice. Um, I'm, I'm probably not going to buy a product unless I'm already buying that product. So I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to, to be sold. But if somebody really wants to be uh, engaged in an industry and have that come back to them, if you provide people value, they're going to find you valuable. So uh, a good example is if I gave you $10 every time we saw each other, you're going to follow me around all day long, hoping that you're going to get another 10 bucks from me. And if people have that same feeling that 
They love to be around you because every time they're around you, something good happens, that they receive something that they wouldn't normally have gotten. Um, that's a great way to make yourself valuable and memorable. And if you're memorable and you're on the top of people's minds, that's where you're going to have the opportunity to meet more and more people because people do business and uh, connect with people they know, like, and trust. And that's a great way to get known, get liked, and get trusted is to provide people exceptional value every time you see them. Really good points there, B. Um, you know, namely, so anybody who's out there sort of, uh, caught that, you know, be memorable and provide value. And I think I, I couldn't agree more. I think those are um, great pieces of advice. So everybody, this has been episode 11 of the uh, Believe in Sports podcast via the Believe Podcast Network. Uh, I'm your host, Jeremy Evans. We've had special guest Brandon Leopoldis uh, with us today. And um, I really appreciate him coming on. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, being back next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.